You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Welcome to church, loved ones, and uh, full house tonight. That's exciting. Maybe some of you are starting to move over from Sunday morning. I'm not sure. And if you are, bless you. But remember, we still have two months to go, okay? Two months we go before that next service starts. It's all under the category, Lord willing. But that's the plan right now. Well, let's do this. Let's get um, our Bibles open. Uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at the book of books here, and we're excited to see what God has to say to us as we gather uh, to finish our series today uh, entitled Made New. And our sermon title uh, today is this, this weekend is um, Made New and Over the Moon. Made New and Over the Moon. Do you like that? I like that. I like that. Hopefully get your attention a little bit. And let me ask you this. When's the last time that you felt um, over the moon. By the way, that's a good thing, right? It's an expression of extreme happiness. Uh, you feel very blessed. You're very joy-filled. When's the last time that you felt um, over the moon? You might feel this way about certain things. Um, possibly, uh, recently, uh, something happened in your family, and that caused you to feel over the moon. Now, possibly that didn't happen in your family as well, all right? Maybe that didn't happen because sometimes our family doesn't make us feel over the moon. Sometimes it does, though, right? Maybe uh, you felt over the moon uh, pertaining to work. Uh, you got a promotion or something great happened, and, or maybe you didn't, right? Maybe something didn't go so great at work, whatever. Maybe you felt um, over the moon uh, regards to your health. Uh, some news came in, uh, healed of something, uh, just kind of transitioned through a really hard phase, and it gave you great joy and elation over the move. But some of us were not so much fired up in that category right now. Uh, if you're like me, uh, almost uh, a week ago, you felt over the moon as the New England Patriots lost. <laughs> now, I'm surprised there's so many people even know what I'm talking about, you know? Usually football things don't go over at all around here, but there's at least enough of you to know I'm not a fan. So I felt over the moon there, but all of these things I just mentioned, they are all subjective feelings of happiness and joy. What we get to talk about, though, is a truth that is not subjective, at least to the believer, because it is true no matter how we feel, where we are, or what we're doing. It's the truth found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we see this truth, it has the opportunity every day to cause us to feel, to know, to live as though we are over the moon with joy. This truth is the gospel. This truth is found in the Bible. This truth is, is, is solely found in the satisfaction and the glory of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen, all right? This is, this is why we live. This is, this is him. This is who we live for. This is, this is why we're here. And again, this truth is not subjective. This truth is objective as we understand the truth before us, accessible to all who see by faith, eyes to see what Christ has done. So in this series being made new. Let's recap where we've been with our icons. We are made new. We have new bodies. Praise the Lord. Guaranteed coming because of what Jesus Christ has done. We are made new. We have new vision now. We walk by faith, not by sight. We see differently. We're looking at the world. That's temporal. That's eternal. That's not worth it. That's worth everything. We are, we are looking differently. That's what God does as we are recreated in him. We have a new heart, new passion, new motivation as we're made new. We don't live to please man. We live to please God. We don't live for ourselves, as the text says. We live for him, but for him. And then all of this is really coming down to this 
final passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with our little sprout there as there's a new creation and the theology and the truth that is surrounding of what it means to be made new. And so today, with all the doctrine of becoming a new creation in Christ, which is so, so great, we're asking these questions. What does it mean exactly to be a new creation? What is the theology behind this? Why is this so glorious? And those are the questions that we get to answer today, which, which in all honesty, when you get to answer these questions of, of what does it mean to be a new creation, why is this theology so glorious? I mean, I mean this is a fun day. This is, this is an exciting day. This is when we should get fired up because this is the truth that reminds us of what has set us free and, and there's some here right now, this is the truth that can set you free. This is the truth that literally can make you go from being dead to being alive through the gospel of Jesus Christ, all right? So, so it's fun today. Like it's, it's, it's huge potential joy today. And so we all came in from different places. Here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell your bad day right now. I want you to tell your bad mood. And I want you to tell your bad sinful flesh to get ready. Why? Because right now the gospel's coming to town, all right? The gospel's coming to town, and minds are going to get renewed, all right? And this is the potential to see us find joy no matter where we are, because this truth doesn't change. And this truth is available for those who love Jesus Christ every single day they live, including today. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. You ready? You excited? You excited? I love you. I love you. I love you so much, because you do love the Lord, and you love the Word. Verse 16 says this, From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Remember, he's building on the truth, right? All the way through. Paul's building on the truth. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Uh, Therefore, conjunction, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, tell me, the new has come. Amen, amen. It's awesome. All this is from God, not from us. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's amazing. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. For real, for real. We implore you, he says, therefore, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now that is a sweet text, all right? Now, I'm not sure how much you picked up along the way as we read that, but again, this passage has such potential in your heart and mind right now to put us over the moon. Let's unpack it. Let's learn. Let's be changed for the glory of God. Point number one is this. My regeneration, ready? My regeneration as a believer, absolutely mind-blowing. That's my point, man, and I like it, all right? My regeneration, when I get this, and try to get this, it is absolutely mind-blowing. Verse 16, again, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Now, it was one commentator who said this, Christians 
are not just to be nice people. Uh, They are, or are supposed to be, ready, new people. Anyone can be a nice person. I'm a nice person. I, I, I am nice to people. I put a smile on my face. Anyone can do that. Christians aren't just nice people. They're supposed to be new people. And this section of Scripture, which is so rich and beautiful in theology, it is shouting this truth out. If you're in Christ, you're new. You've been made new. You're a new creation. You've been recreated by God to live forever and never, ever die. This is specifically, in verse 17, the doctrine of regeneration. You and I need to know what is the doctrine of regeneration. If I went around the room right now and I asked, hey, do you know what regeneration is? Do you know what regeneration is? I hope you would have an answer. I hope you would understand what that is. Some of us do, some of us don't. Let's get on the same page together. Here's the definition right now, okay? This is just from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology textbook. Regeneration is this. The secret act of God, not of us, it's all of God. We'll see that in a bit. The secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. Just look at that. You have a few moments to write it down. If you don't know what regeneration is, learn it now. Learn it now. It's also called being born again. John chapter 3. Jesus says no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's regeneration. It is, is God imparting to the individual new spiritual life. It's in Ezekiel chapter 11. That the prophecy is made. And I will give them one heart, God says. And I will give them a new spirit I will put within them. And then he says this, I will remove the heart of stone. And I will give them a heart of flesh. What is that? That's the promise of regeneration in the book of Ezekiel hundreds of years before Christ came. In John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you again, unless one is born again, unless one is born again, unless one is regenerated, unless one is spiritually born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. You are here right now. Uh, Never been reborn. Never been spiritually born again. You can't see. The person without the Spirit of God cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, for they are spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians 2. The person cannot see by faith without the regeneration, the act of God imparting new spiritual life into them as the first act on the road to true conversion and salvation. You must be born again. This is the power of regeneration. But this is the, this is the glory of becoming a new creation as well. This is why Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 says this, that when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... He saved us. Now, get ready, ready? Some of you are here, and, and some of you heard this. You're like, well, if I'm a good person, I get to heaven. Okay, ready? Here's, here's what the Bible says about that, okay? Uh, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Is that clear? I mean, maybe you grew up. Maybe you grew up in a certain church or a certain denomination, and they were teaching you, go to church, say some prayers, do some good deeds, you know, attend a, a certain service, get baptized as an infant. I don't know. All these things happen, and you'll go to heaven. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. This is in the Bible, though, okay? okay? Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. It's all God. His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration. Born again by God. Uh, imparting spiritual life into the individual and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that does it by the act of God. No one gets saved apart from regeneration. We can't save ourselves. 
We are saved by the grace of God through faith in all that Jesus Christ has done. And this is why Paul's talking about this right now, man. He says, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. This is why then, ready? This is why. The power of the gospel. Again, this is for summary now too. The power of the gospel is not making bad people good. The power of the gospel is making dead people alive. That's a great spot for an amen. All right, now listen, listen. So, so Jesus, I read this week in Luke chapter 7. Jesus is walking through uh, the city of Nain, I believe, and he has, uh, sees the widow there with her in the funeral procession of her son. The widow's son has died. And he walks up, he put his hand on the, on the beer, the stand where the coffin is on top of, and the pallbearers stop. Can you imagine this? This is so awesome. And they stop, and he says to them, basic paraphrase, son, um, uh, rise, you are alive. It's in the coffin. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're not dead, you're alive. And he gets up and gives the child back to his mom. Hey, you're one of the pallbearers, what do you do? I mean, how, how long are you talking about that? Then there's Lazarus, and, G- and Jesus is, is seeing Mary Mother. They're weeping and weeping. The brother Lazarus, and he's in the tomb for how many days? Four days, that's right. And the four days, and he's in there, he's like, Lazarus! How's the, how does the joke go? He said Lazarus, because if he just said, come out, the whole grave, the whole cemetery would be empty, you know, all right? He says, Lazarus, come out. That's awesome. And Lazarus comes out in all his kind of claws and stuff and being buried in that way. That's an awesome miracle, isn't it? It's an awesome miracle in Luke chapter 7 where the pallbearers are there and the widow's son's raised to life. But listen, here's the greater miracle. Lazarus is raised. He still dies, though. The widow's son is raised physically. He still dies, though. You're raised in a new spiritual life. You never die. That is the greatest miracle ever. That is the greatest possible thing we can ever imagine that Jesus Christ imparts to us new spiritual life that we will never, ever die again. This is the glory of the gospel. This is why Jesus Christ is worshipped. This is what it means to be regenerated. This is, this, is, this is the gospel in us and through us. That's why this whole chapter in 2 Corinthians 5, it's unpacking. Hey, hey, church. Paul's saying, hey, 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 church in Corinth. Do you understand what it means to be made new? Like, do you get this? Have you thought about the theology? And he starts going through chapter 5, and he's like, hey, if you're really regenerated, then your home is heaven, verse 1. You know your home is heaven. Hey, if you're really regenerated, then the Holy Spirit is in you. That's your guarantee that God will deliver on his promise. Guaranteed, verse 5. Verse 5. Hey, if you're truly regenerated, then you no longer see as the world sees. You see spiritually as God would have you see. Verse 7. If you are truly regenerated then, that means you bear fruit. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 5, right? Because one life, have to give an account. Uh, uh, a judgment's coming. I want to make my life count. You live differently. You're truly regenerated. You fear the Lord, not man. Verse 11. If you're truly regenerated, the love of Christ now controls you. You've had a blood transfusion by Jesus Christ. Verse 14. If you're truly regenerated... We no longer live for ourselves, but for him, verse 15. True regeneration comes with supernatural change and supernatural life. Why? Why? Verse 17. Verse 17. Because the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Again, why is this so awesome? One way to put it is this. Is this physical birth prepares us for the earth. 
spiritual birth fits us for heaven. Our physical birth fits us for the earth. Our spiritual birth fits us for heaven. What I want you to do right now, as I try to do sometimes and try to do this week with this text in front of me, is I want you to try in your in our limited ability, try to wrap your mind around the doctrine of regeneration. Like, just try, like, like when, when someone is regenerated, there's a spiritual bomb that goes in and is detonated in the best possible way ever. And the explosion of new life. Like, just think, at one point, if you're saved in Christ right now, and you're regenerated in him, at one point, dead, dead, cannot see, have no faith, you are destined for destruction, you, you, you don't know Christ, he's not savior to you, you're just, you're spiritually dead. And then the next moment, as the gospel is preached and God begins to act initially within you, regeneration takes place and all of a sudden life explodes through eyes and heart and soul and everything in between. Just just, just wrap your mind around that. That is, that is, that's that's mind-blowing to me. That's awesome. Only God can do that. And he's doing that every day across this world all the time. Because Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see? And this is the power of the gospel. This is the gospel in our church last weekend and this weekend today. Because when God is faithfully preached, his son is exalted and the Holy Spirit is acting among us, then lives are changed because this is what God promises to do. And that's why, that's why. I want you to look at verse 16 now, chapter 5, as a continuation of the fruit of regeneration. Are we regenerated? Are we regenerated? Are we bearing the fruit of the regenerate life? Let's find out. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now what Paul is saying here, he says, before regeneration, what happens? We see in the flesh. We operate in the flesh. We judge in the flesh. What does that look like? Well, we place our value on external things. Uh, We hold up uh, earthly and worldly appearances. We put value in that. Uh, Before regeneration, we hold ourselves to worldly standard. Uh, We invest and love earthly possessions. And really, again, again, the unregenerate life who's not regenerated, you can't expect them to behave like those who are new creatures because they're not. And so what do you expect from a, uh, a group of people who are not saved and cannot see? You expect them to act as those who are unsaved and cannot see. Because it takes the Spirit of God again to allow them to see. Saved, everything changes. When you're regenerated, everything changes. I hope again you can think of the period in your life when all of a sudden you stop seeing externally and you start seeing eternally for the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I remember the period of my life so well. It was so exciting. And again, you're taught your whole life to live for the world. And all of a sudden Jesus Christ comes in and all of a sudden you realize that I don't have to live for the world anymore. I don't have to live for the world anymore. I don't live for the world I don't live for the world. I know. You're like, hey, can you, you gotta, I don't live for the world anymore. Dan, I don't live for the world. Jesus Christ set me free. The world doesn't matter. I live for him. Did you hear? I don't live for the world. I don't live for the world. This is so great. The world tells me I live for the world, but I don't live for the world. I live for Jesus, and Jesus doesn't care about the world. And I've been set free from that. And the joy and the devotion and the gladness of saying, it doesn't matter what you say. And it doesn't matter what the commercial says. And it doesn't matter what kind of job I have. It doesn't matter where my bank account is. It doesn't matter the house I live in. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and he's bringing me to glory because, amen, amen, because the gospel says I don't have to live for the world anymore. Hey, 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 I'll let you know a secret, okay, ready, ready? You don't have to live for the world either. I mean, that's so awesome. And this truth is we're reminded about over because every day we need this truth. Every day we need the gospel. Every day we need to be reminded what actually matters. And here we are again. And God's telling us, here's what actually matters. Paul says, before we regenerated, yeah, we thought about the world. We thought a lot. And in fact, he says this, notice in verse 16, even in regards to Jesus Christ, before someone is regenerated, who is Jesus? He's another man. He's a good teacher. He's an earthly Messiah. So many in our world walk around and say, hey, what do you think about Jesus? And they'd say, oh, he's a, he's a really good teacher. Uh, he's a doer of good, you know, kind of Gandhi, that kind of thing, you know. What do you think of Jesus? Oh, I think he's a great example of how to do good deeds. No, 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 no. When you're regenerated, everything changes in regards. You know, Paul says there, he says, but we regard him thus no longer. Amen. No, no, no. He's not just some good teacher. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Lord of the universe. He is the glorified, risen one. He is the Redeemer. He is the exalted one. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the great I am. Again, again, that becomes the most important question then we will ever answer. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, but who do you say that I am? Because the answer to that question frames the entire existence of our lives. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? See, regeneration brings about a place where we understand he is everything. And he is satisfaction. He is life. He is glory. He is awesome. He is beauty. Let me say it again, okay? Christians aren't just nice people. Christians are new people. New people who see and live differently according to the truth that has been placed within them. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. By the way, I, just, I love your hunger for God's word. I love it so much. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ is such an important phrase all through the New Testament. That's it. Life is lived in those two words, in Christ. Everything we want is found in Christ. All our life, all our salvation is found in Christ. We become new creations in Christ, right? right? This is when we see lives that are completely, hey, are you like me? Do you like live to see lives transformed for Jesus Christ? Okay, that, that's why I'm in ministry. I, I didn't want to go into ministry, but you know, when God calls and then he wins, and then but you say, okay, Lord, if we're gonna if we're gonna do this, let's see some lives change for your glory, right? And then when you see, when you see lives that are transformed for Jesus Christ, and so many of you are just like, and you just, it just, you're like, yes! Why? Because you're cheering the Lord and the power of the gospel to take people from death to life. Hey, are you here right now, and you're truly regenerated, and you haven't been baptized? Get in the tank! You've got to get in the tank. Why, why? So we can cheer and be like, look at the Lord. Look what God has done. You're like, well, well, I'll be baptized, but I'm kind of afraid to speak in front of people. Hey, 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 ready, ready. Let me just bust up that excuse right now, okay? Okay, ready, ready? If you're regenerated, you have this guy, he's called the Holy Spirit, and he's within you, and he tends to help you, okay? Okay, okay? So next excuse, please, okay? Get in the tank so we can go... Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You're changing lives. I mean, th this is why we live, to see Jesus Christ do what he's doing in you. I challenge you right now. All that God wants to do, that we might glory in him, the power, the power of regeneration. 
I want to show you this chart before we move on because this truth is just so important. I want you to show you this, okay? Before regeneration, after regeneration, okay? Here's the reality of what this means right now. Ready? Before regeneration, spiritually dead. Dead. After regeneration, spiritually alive. Live forever. Destined for glory in heaven. Before regeneration, heart of stone. After, heart of flesh. Alive, sensitive to the things of the Lord. Before regeneration, we're children of wrath. Ephesians 2. Children of the King, John chapter 1. We have given the right to become children of God. Unbelievable. Before, an enemy of God. Romans 5. Friend of God. Romans 5. Filthy in sin before regeneration. All our sin is there, but then washed and cleansed. Again, through the washing and renewal of regeneration, we're orphans before regeneration. Adopted children of God. After godless, self-seeking individuals before regeneration. Afterwards, called out to be selfless, God-loving, Jesus Christ-worshiping individuals before regeneration separated from God. Afterwards, Reconciled to God, okay? Okay, this is discouraging. This, let's call this uh, over the moon, all right? All right, so when we go through, I just, I really encourage you, when you're really feeling down, get a list like this out and just start saying it out loud and just see what happens to your temperament. Like, just, just try it out loud and say, God, I can't believe I am alive. I can't believe I, you gave me a heart of life. I can't believe I'm your child. And just start going through the truth and see what happens, okay? I challenge you with that one. Just see what happens and see how long you can stay grumpy. Remember, it's very difficult to stay grumpy and grateful at the same time, right? You got to really work really hard at that one, all right? And the greatest joy we have in gratitude is found within the gospel. Regeneration, absolutely mind-blowing. Number two is this, ready? We got three R's today. Here's the second R. It's reconciliation. And reconciliation will say this. This is grace in us and grace through us. Now, whenever we study Scripture, here's a tip. Look for repeated words to bring out the meaning of the verses you're reading, okay? Look for words that are repeated to give you a sense of what uh, God's really trying to say through this particular passage, especially in the epistles, okay? Let's try it here. Ready? Verse uh, 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Okay, any any suggestions what these verses might be about? Uh, Yes, you see, doesn't it come alive all of a sudden? You're just like, wow, like five times. There's There's the word reconciliation or reconcile. God really wants to say something to me about this right now in these particular verses. Two aspects of this incredibly beautiful teaching of reconciliation within these verses here. The first aspect is this. It's this, ready? God is reconciling us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. God initiates reconciliation and he reconciles us to himself. The second aspect of the doctrine of reconciliation here is this. God then entrusts his children to proclaim the message of reconciliation. And that in itself is amazing. So God reconciles us to himself, and then he says, now you go and proclaim the message of reconciliation to a lost and dying world. But let's start at verse 18. That's where the Text starts there here. Notice it says this, all this is from God. 
Uh, he's speaking of new creation. He's speaking of regeneration. As he transitions now into reconciliation, all this is from God, okay? In other words, we don't save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. The act of regeneration is 100% God, okay? Now, think about this. How much did Lazarus had to do with his resurrection? Well, the answer is zero. Um, how much influence does a child being born have on their birth? They're not in control, I'll tell you that much. They don't have a choice. They're just born. It's the same thing with regeneration. It is, it is the act of God. Now, there is an aspect of our responsibility with faith as we exercise that and, and how that all fits together is a wonderful biblical uh, mystery as it all lines up together. But we're very clear on this. We cannot save ourselves. This is a God-initiated act through his son, Jesus Christ, powered by the Holy Spirit. God is the one who creates, and God is the one who recreates. He is worthy of our praise, amen? He is worthy. He creates and recreates. And now we come to this teaching of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It is the restoration of a relationship. It is the reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. It is the, listen, listen, reconciliation is the exchange of hostility for a friendly relationship. I'm hostile to you, but now we reconcile and we're friends. We have restored the relationship. We are at peace. We are loving one another. So what's so massive about this? If you look at verse 18, it says this. It says, who through Christ, God through Christ, reconciled us to himself. Now again, notice, God initiated reconciliation. Why is that important? Because we're the offenders, loved ones. We're the sinners. We're the ones who have offended and rejected God. We're the ones who sinned and broke the relationship off with God. We're the guilty ones. We're to blame. From Adam's sin on, the offense has always been there. The rejection of God is as clear now as it was then. See, so our sin broke the relationship between us and God. He created the world for us to be in perfect harmony. But sin comes in and makes a separation between us and God. We're to blame. It's our sin. We sin every day. We are the, the So we are the ones who put the dividing wall of hostility up, Ephesians 2, between God and us. We are the ones that become enemies of God, Romans 5. We are the ones who become children of wrath, again, Ephesians 2, because we have sinned and rejected God. Now, the world doesn't like that truth, but it's a truth that saves when you understand what it is is our greatest problem, that we are separated from God because of our sin. But then when we're aware of our sin, then we become aware of the incredible love and grace and the good news of the gospel. And this is what blows me away so much, okay? This is where the Bible is one book, did you know that? The Bible is ultimately one book. It's one story of redemption or reconciliation. From the moment sin enters the world, God, God could have just been like, man, it stinks being you. It's your fault. You messed up. You're the sinners. He could have just said, he so easily could have just been like, forget it. You're done. The moment sin enters the world, God begins with executing his plan. His plan of redemption, salvation, and reconciliation. What does he do? He starts executing his plan through Abraham, through Isaac, Jacob, 
He executes his plan through Joseph and the positioning of his people down in Egypt. He executes his plan through Moses, through David, through the prophecy and the promises of Isaiah that are all ultimately pointing to Jesus. God executes his plan through his son who comes to be born, to live, and to die. See, don't you see why Christmas is such a big deal? Christmas is the celebration that reconciliation is here. Right? Don't you see why Good Friday then? Good Friday, Jesus dies, and the temple curtain is torn. And what is that? It's torn top to bottom. God says reconciliation is now possible. Access to God is now granted. What was prevented before is now open because Jesus Christ died for all the sins of the world. And anyone who has the faith to see Christ as Savior, they can now access God the Father by grace through faith in the Son of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see why Easter is such a big deal then? Easter, the significance of Easter, as Jesus is raised, is this. Reconciliation is now guaranteed. It's guaranteed for all who believe. Christmas, it's here. Good Friday, it's possible. It's open. Access to God is open. Easter, guaranteed. It's guaranteed now. Reconciliation is guaranteed for those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and who died for their sins, that they would never have to die as they know he took all their sins or trespasses for them on the cross and they receive the gift of eternal life. God was the one who sent his Son. He initiated the reconciliation. Jesus was the one who submitted willingly. He wasn't forced. He gave up his life willingly because of his love for reconciliation, his love for us, the Father's love for us, that we might be saved, so that all who believe, ready? Harmony in the beginning, Garden of Eden. Sin makes a separation. The plan of Jesus Christ on the cross now brings reconciliation of sinners back to God where they were meant to be. That is the whole purpose and the power of the gospel. This is what's being described for us here right now. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says this, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Okay, ready? Jesus Christ dies on the cross to bear our sin so that our sins, trespasses, would not count against us. If you get that, what happens? Over the moon, right? Right? If you understand all my sin, all my sin, all my sin, over the moon, over the moon, because that's my greatest problem. I'm separated from God, but now I'm reconciled to God because of Jesus Christ, over the moon, over the moon. I hope you say that all week, by the way, over the moon. How amazing this is. And to think and think, this is all God's doing. In Christ, reconciled you to himself. Through this song that we love to sing, Man of Sorrows. Look at, here's the verse. One of the verses says, and look at the, the so when we're singing songs, don't just, don't just sing them. And think about the theology. This is where worship happens, right? Sent of heaven, God's own son. That's the initiation. That's the initiation of reconciliation. To purchase and redeem. To purchase us and our sin. To buy us back from bondage to sin and Satan. And reconcile the very ones. Listen to this. Who, this is a good verse. Who nailed him to the tree. Like when we sing this, we should be like, I did nail him to the tree. It was my sin. And I'm purchased and redeemed and reconciled. 
Because God initiated this love for me when I deserve to be dead and go to hell because of my sin? We should sing this with humility and often tears forming in our eyes because we cannot believe the goodness and the grace of our Savior who has done this for us. This is when we sing and we're like over the moon. I can't believe this is true. And it is. And it's awesome. So, God initiates reconciliation to us. We treasure it, loved ones. We treasure it. But do we only treasure it? Well, when we treasure it, what happens? Well, then we share it. If we truly treasure the gospel, we must share the gospel. Why? Because we've been entrusted with it. Okay, look at verse 18. Okay, look, 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 look. Now look at me, look at the text. Look, what, ready? And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So this is what boggles my mind sometimes. The Lord of all glory left the responsibility of his gospel to his church. Sometimes you're like, what was he thinking? Right? Right? But he's perfect in wisdom and perfect in knowledge. But think about it. The message of mind-blowing regeneration, reconciliation, and redemption. Ready, ready, ready? For us who are saved in Christ, it's ours to share. We are called ambassadors. You know ambassadors in the Roman Empire? They were a men of immense authority. They didn't travel in their own authority, but they traveled with the authority of the king. And they carried his message. Paul knows the word he's choosing here as he speaks to the church in Corinth within the Roman Empire. They see ambassador and they're like, whoa, whoa. And loved ones, you and I, saved in Christ, we are ambassadors for him with the message of the gospel. We carry the authority of the king. That's a big deal. Okay? We are entrusted with this message. It is an immense privilege to share the gospel with people regardless of whether or not they accept it, God gets glorified through it. The ambassador who carried the message was felt so privileged and so honored, not depending on how they responded, just the fact he had the opportunity to do so. If we get the gospel, this is helping my mind right now too. If I seek to share my faith, it is, it is the immense privilege of carrying the message that grants people eternal life as God chooses to work. That's how we should view our opportunity each day with the gospel message. We are ambassadors for Christ. We have been entrusted with the message. And this is when the fear of man starts to lessen and the fear of God begins to grow. And this is why Paul says, we implore, I implore you to be reconciled to God on behalf of Christ. Holy Spirit, give us boldness to do so. Regeneration, mind-blowing. Reconciliation, grace in us, grace through us. Here's the third R, it's this. It's Christ's righteousness in me. And here's my question, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's in my point to you, okay? Christ's righteousness in me. Are you kidding me? It's amazing, look at verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, okay? One of the most powerful statements in the New Testament. And say it again, ready? For our sake, God made Christ to be sin, to take on our sin, 
who knew no, Jesus was perfect, who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made his son to become sin on our behalf, even though Christ was perfect, so that in Christ, we might become then the righteousness of God. Here's a, here's a picture we've used over many years. Let me show you again. This is called the great exchange, based on this verse, okay? The hand of Christ. His, his nail-pierced hand dying for our sins, a sacrifice for our sins in our place. In the gospel, by grace, through faith, Jesus, you are Lord. You are my Savior. You died for me. I believe in you. I love you. At the moment of regeneration and then conversion and justification, we are made innocent because the righteousness of Christ goes on us, black, sinful hand, decaying and old, Our sin goes on Christ. His righteousness goes on us. It's the great exchange. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is is mind-blowing too. And this is also over the moon, by the way. We get his righteousness. He gets our sin. Pretty good deal, isn't it? But you know what about this deal? Which we need to remember about this deal? This deal's not, it's not fair. It's not a fair deal. You know, some of you are saying, wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that in the gospel, Jesus takes all my sin and I get all his perfect righteousness? You're like, how is that fair? Well, it's not fair. It's not fair at all. In fact, I just want you to turn to your neighbor right now and just say, it's not fair. Go ahead. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Ready? Ready? But which part is not fair, okay? Which part is not fair? Because we're so selfish all the time. We are so often self-absorbed and self-consumed. And we say, that's not fair. You're not fair to me. I have four kids and my husband. You're not fair, 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 fair. And I know my own heart. That's not fair. That's not fair. How come he gets? How come she gets? Not fair, not fair. We're always complaining and whining, moping and sulking. It's not fair. And we actually go to God and say, God, it's not, you're not fair to me. My life isn't working out the way you said. You're not fair. I mean, if we had any sense of the gospel, what we're doing. Now, we may not say that out loud. We say it in here, here. Like, we, we do that. Okay, let's just take a little time, spiritual theological time out and make sure we understand what we're saying as we accuse God of not being fair, okay? Here's the definition of what's not fair. We get the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he takes on all our sin. That's not fair to God. But listen, that's not fair to God, but that is the love of God. That is the grace of God. That is the mercy of God to an entire group of people who deserve it not. He loves us so much He sends his son to die that we might live. It's not fair, but it's the love of God. I want to take one more opportunity to explain this to you because it's so, so important. Pastor Ray, can you come up and can you you grab those two shirts under that that seat right there, okay? Thank you, Pastor Ray, for doing this. He has no idea what's about to happen, which is so good. Come stand here. But but we love seeing Pastor Ray. Okay, we're just doing like the great exchange, okay? You get to be Jesus, okay? I told you I'd I'd make you look good, all right? Yeah, you hold that up, okay? You're Jesus. And you know what? I don't take anything for granted here right now to you, okay? And this is the reality of I'll be sinner, because I'm definitely that, okay? And I just think of sometimes, this is the marvel of, I'll stand over here because we're not too close right now, okay? But, but, but I have sin, and in the gospel, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus loves me so much. There's some children in the room right now. Do you understand what's happening right here? There's some adults in the room. Have you ever thought about this in this way? In the gospel, what happens? Oh my, oh my sin, past, present, future, all of it killing me, destroying me. And Jesus says, I want it all. And Jesus takes my sin 
and puts it on him. My sin is to the account of Jesus. But Jesus is perfect. He's done one thing wrong. And he knows that he says, because, Rob, because I love you so much, I want every single, and he says, but it doesn't stop there. I take your sin. But he says, but now you get, you get my righteousness, every single bit of it. And at this point then, what, what does God see? He no longer sees this. That's on his son. He sees, it's not my righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness on me. God now sees the righteousness of his son. And what this means is, I am now innocent in the sight of God. And here's the incredibly beautiful truth. When God sees his son's righteousness in me, it's as if I've never sinned, ever. And it's as if I have always perfectly obeyed. That's the reality of the gospel. Did you hear that? When you are saved in Jesus Christ, God sees the righteousness of his son in you. And therefore, it's as if you have never sinned once and as if you have always obeyed, not because of what you have done, all because of what Christ has done. That is the power of the exchange of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, hey, he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise. And when we get that, we're over the moon. We're over the moon. Loved ones, here's the application I want to bring to what I just taught right there. When you see this doctrine, you're not in a bad mood. When you live this doctrine, joy fills your heart. Hey, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Remember, the very things that are happening in this room right now as your minds are renewed, that's what we take with us. That's tomorrow. That's the next day. This, this is what God has given us. Not so it sits on a shelf and wait for a pastor to show up again next week. No, 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 no. This is Jesus every day meeting with us to rise us above the circumstances of our life because there's more to live for than just the circumstances of our life right? We complain about the clouds and the rain and the storms and the thunder and the jury days and the cold. I remember not too long ago, I was in a plane and it was a cold, rainy, cloudy, stormy day. Miserable. And you sat in the plane and you're on the runway and you take off. And in the rain hitting the side of the plane, you look out in the dark clouds and everything's dreary and just bleh. But you keep flying up. And all of a sudden you go through the clouds, a little bit of turbulence there, and right in the middle, you can't see anything, whatever, and you know the rain is down there, and you're like, oh, a little different now. But you come, and all of a sudden you crest above the clouds in the plane, you're sitting on the window seat, and you look outside, and then all of a sudden, what? lo and behold, it's, it's the sun. The sun is shining, but it's rainy down there, but the, that doesn't stop the sun from shining as bright as ever. Nothing, circumstances down here on the earth can change the reality of the sun in all its glory. Hey, 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 here's the opportunity for the gospel. Regardless of what's happening in our lives, nothing can change the reality of the Son of God shining into your life with the truth of his love through his gospel, and that is how he's called us to live. But if we're going to look around and see it's raining, it's clouds, it's thunder, it's cold, it's miserable, oh, I don't love my life. But if you could just look up and have faith to see far enough, you will see, hey, hey, in all our misery, the sun's still shining. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is on his throne. He is glorious. And God the Father in all his majesty and wonder, he is perfectly in control and sovereign. And one day soon we will see him again face to face. 
This is the power of what we're learning. This is what it means to be made new. To look and to say, I'm regenerated. I'm reconciled. The righteousness of Christ lives in me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. God is so good. Today is yet another great day. Isn't it? It is. It is in the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's why we have thanksgiving in our hearts right now.